How can I possibly remember everything in the Bible? Hey there, it's John. Welcome to John Talking Jesus in a Jetta with Java. I don't actually have any Java with me. Normally I'd hold up my cup and show you my Java, but I don't. I might get a cup on the way home, we'll see. I had to go get a part for my refrigerator, and now I'm on my way home. Today I want to talk about the entire Bible. The Bible is a very large and complicated book. Well, it's a library, really. It's a library of 66 books, well, in the Protestant version, bound together into a single volume that uh, contains a historical narrative and uh, parables and stories and poetry and allegory. It's written by like over 40 different people, over, uh, written over a span of 2,000 years, and it uh, certainly, well, people debate that. Uh, it, it could have, the, the actual writing of it could have been over a span of more like 600 years. But the, 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 the stories, uh, the things that are taught in it, they span millennia. Uh, it's uh, written in two main languages with a smattering of a third. It's when people <clears throat> feel like they ought to understand the Bible well, they are asking a lot. Not that I'm, <laughs> I am not telling you not to study the Bible, but what I want to do today is <clears throat> give you a framework for the entire Bible uh, so that when you are looking at or reading or hearing about something specific, you have a place to put it. Because what I have discovered in my uh, studies and learning is that I need to have a skeleton to hang the flesh of everything on. And so if I memorize a basic framework, it's so much easier to remember all the specific stuff and where it goes if I have like a basic thing to hang everything on. And so what I want to give you it today, if you'll stay with me, is the entire Bible in seven chunks. And then once you have these chunks down, you'll, uh, and you are reading about or hearing about a specific thing, you'll be able to stick it in that chunk. And once you can stick it in the chunk, not only will you know about when it happened, but you'll have an idea of the cultural and historical context of it, which of course makes a big difference because if someone writes something during a time of peace, it's very different than if they write that same thing during a time of war, right? The Lord gives peace to his people. What does that mean in a time right after a great harvest versus what does that mean at a time when they've just been conquered and overrun by the Babylonians? So, uh, I think that today is going to be helpful for a lot of people. So here we go. The seven chunks, and <clears throat> I made up an acronym. You can make up your own acronym <laughs> because I, I don't think this is the best one ever made up. But uh, the acronym is this. Uh, it, it's a sentence. It's big peace expected. Just you mimic Jesus. Which I guess, you know, for me, that's like a spiritual thing, right? This is what you can expect. Big peace expected, just you mimic Jesus. And so that breaks the Bible up into seven discrete uh, 
and they're not super discreet, but they're definitely uh, epochs or time periods. So B is beginnings, the P is the patriarchs, E is the exodus, uh, big piece expected, just, that's the time of the judges, U, <laughs> that's the cheater one, that's a united kingdom, uh, mimic, that's the messy time, which we'll talk about when we get there, Jesus, and of course, Jesus is Jesus. Uh, so here we go. Big piece expected. Just you mimic Jesus. So big, that's the B. That stands for beginnings. And um, what I'm going to do is tell you each thing, each uh, era, and I'm going to put uh, two or three or so famous people in or events into that era to help you uh, remember kind of what goes in that era. So beginnings is the creation of the world, the fall into sin, and the great flood. Now, of course, there's more stories in there and stuff, but if you can uh, put those stories into the beginnings pot, you'll kind of know where they go, right? So the beginnings, we have uh, the fall into sin. That's the story of uh, Adam and Eve and the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, you know, they shouldn't have eaten, and now we all have the knowledge of evil, which we weren't supposed to have, and there's a whole lesson in that. It's the fall, creation, well, creation, fall, uh, God created the, the entire world good, and he intends to restore that goodness, and then the flood is a story of God's uh, judgment and salvation. So that's beginnings, B big peace. P stands for patriarchs. So you got the beginnings stories and then you got the patriarchs. And these are the four uh, people that were kind of the beginning of the people of Israel. They are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham, uh, you may remember that uh, Abraham is really the beginning of the people of Israel because he was just a dude living in a, a place called Ur, which is great because if someone says, hey, where did Abraham live? And you go, Ur, because you don't know, you're right. <laughs> Except that it's not spelled with an E, it's a U-R. Anyway, so Abraham, he's uh, the guy who God called to go to the land of Canaan at first. He said, I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham's the one that had to go through, uh, he, he um, well, what else about Abraham? He was childless, and he's like, wondering how in the world God's going to, you know, make his descendants as numerous as the stars. And uh, then some angels came by and said, Abraham, you're going to have a child. And his wife laughed because she was past childbearing years, and she thought what they said was ridiculous. And then uh, they came back the next year and she had a child and she named him Isaac, which means he laughs or laughter because she laughed when she heard, you know, thinking that that was ridiculous. So that's the same Isaac that God tested Abraham's loyalty with. And this, you know, all these stories require a lot of commentary, some of them anyways, to understand. And we're not going to do that today because we're just like trying to do big piece expected just you mimic Jesus, right? So the seven chunks of history. So I'm, but I'm trying to flesh out Abraham in your mind with some stories you might be familiar with. So Abraham, 
God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, the son, the miracle son that he didn't expect to have and then he got. And then uh, that was God's test of Abraham. And, uh, okay, I got to say one thing. Sometimes when people test us, they're not testing us to see if we're up to whatever they're testing us on. They're testing us to show us what we're really made of and what we're about. And, uh, you know, like they, um, we, we do this with kids. We let them go through difficult things to build their own confidence and their own sense of purpose and, and whatever. So that is, uh, Abraham. And then he had Isaac and, uh, <clears throat> Isaac, uh, there's not a, a lot of stories about Isaac. Uh, and then we have Jacob, what, 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 there, uh, Isaac and, um, who? So Isaac had, uh, Jacob, and Jacob is, uh, has some stories attached to him. Uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob was kind of mama's boy, and Esau was like the hunter, and, Esau was the older one, and Esau came out of the woods and he was famished because he didn't have a good hunt. And he sold his birthright to Jacob just for some stew. And uh, then later on, Jacob fooled his dad, and Jacob's mom helped him fool his dad uh, into giving Jacob the blessing. Uh, and then Jacob is the one who uh, through a series of, uh, well, two wives and two concubines had 12 sons. Uh, and one of those sons of Jacob was, uh, Joseph with the amazing Technicolor dream coat. And so we got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And of course, you know, the Joseph story is one of my favorite stories because it, it tells us to just keep going, uh, serving, uh, God with honesty and integrity and understanding that, that he's ultimately uh, guiding things and we can trust his movement in our lives even when we don't see it because uh, Joseph, well, I mean he could have been like a bratty little kid but he grew up and his um, if you remember right, his brothers were going to kill him, that's rough stuff you think you fought with your brothers <laughs> and then the oldest brother said, no, let's not kill him because then his blood will be on our hands. Let's throw him in a well and leave him there. I'm not sure how that convinced the other brothers that his blood wouldn't be on his hand, their hands if they left him in a well to die. <laughs> but it worked, and he was Reuben was going to come back later and rescue him. Uh, but then a tribe of uh, traders, a caravan, came along, and they just sold Joseph into slavery, where he went to Potiphar's house. Uh, Potiphar it was the uh, captain of Pharaoh's guard in Egypt. And Joseph uh, operated with great intelligence and integrity and uh, rose to be the head of household for Potiphar. And the Bible says Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything. Uh, so then it also says uh, Joseph was a handsome man, and Potiphar's wife uh, had a thing for handsome men and wanted uh, 
Joseph to sleep with her, and he said, no, how can I do this thing? It would be... My, he says, my master has trusted every, everything into my hands, except you. So how could I do this thing and sin against God? Because ultimately, everything, everything is not... Uh, it, everything references uh, the way God would, would have us live. It's not... Um, I can't think of the word. And this is the downside of doing this while I'm driving. It's not relative... Uh, there's nothing relative about whether or not you should sleep with someone else's wife, right? So, uh, in, in the end, she, she figures out how to accuse him of raping her. Uh, and so Potiphar sends him to prison. Of course, he's already been sold into slavery by his brothers. And then he rose up to a great place. And now he goes back to prison. Now, when he's in prison... Uh, you know, the, the, the people who run the prisons use the prisoners uh, to maintain the prison. So there's, you know, there's leaders within the prison population. And uh, so Joseph ends up being the leader. Uh, he's in charge of the prison. And the warden doesn't have to worry about anything because he knows Joseph is in charge. And uh, Joseph has... The ability to interpret dreams <clears throat> and uh, so a couple of guys have dreams in prison and Joseph interprets them correctly and what he says is gonna happen happens and they uh, the one goes back to his job with Pharaoh and forgets all about Joseph says listen I just want one thing when you get out remember my case to Pharaoh because he was falsely accused right uh, of raping Potiphar's wife, so or tr attempting to rape Potiphar's wife, so the guy gets out of prison and goes back to serving Pharaoh. It's Pharaoh's cupbearer, by the way. The baker, not so good. He got his head chopped off, and the cupbearer promptly forgets about Joseph for three years. And then the king has a dream. The Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. And then the cupbearer's like. Oh, shoot! I remember this guy in prison! Dang! <laughs> uh, and then he calls Joseph, and... I, I'm going a little more detail into the story than I meant to, but welcome to my world. Uh, so, Joseph interprets the dream uh, correctly, that there's years of there we're going to have some years of plenty, and then years of famine, and the... The Pharaoh says, what's your advice on how to handle this? And Joseph says, you need to appoint somebody who's in charge of preparing for the famine. And so Pharaoh says, how about you? <laughs> and Joseph's like, okay. And so Joseph actually becomes prime minister of Egypt. Uh, and there's the famine and his family comes and he tests his brothers to make sure they've, you know, repented of their evil ways and this is how, and, and that, so this is kind of important. This is how the whole, this is how the Israelites end up in Egypt, is there's a famine, and because Joseph is a prime minister of Egypt and has the great respect of the Pharaoh, he says you should move your whole family down here, and they set aside a portion of land for the Israelites. And uh, that all goes that way. But the reason that story is so important to me is because really Joseph there it it is inconceivable for Joseph to become prime minister of Egypt as uh, 
the son of a nomadic shepherd family in Canaan, right? Wouldn't have happened. The pathway to that was the hatred of his brothers, the uh, accusation of attempted rape by Potiphar's wife, even the forgetting of the uh, dream interpretation until the right time to bring Joseph out of prison into the presence of Pharaoh. And so the reason that makes a, a big that's a that's a very empowering story to me is because it talks about the pathway uh, that people experience and we want to always interpret we want to interpret our life and whether or not you know if you're if you're the kind of person who's looking to see if you're doing God's will or whatever like that we so often or if you're even just doing the right thing we want to interpret that based on our external circumstances and the outward trappings of uh, success, right? But the pathway that took Joseph to Prime Minister of Egypt was a pathway of false accusation and failure and oh my gosh, here we go again and that kind of thing. And so it sustains me. So that's how the Israelites got in Egypt. So, okay, uh, beginnings, that's... Uh, Creation, fall, and flood, B. Uh, big peace expected, just you mimic Jesus. B is beginnings, Abraham. Uh, creation, fall, flood. Uh, P, big peace, that's the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Uh, and then they're in Egypt for 400 years. Big peace expected. E is the exodus, and you know the exodus. Uh, or maybe you don't, but I'm not going to rehearse the whole thing. It's the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery. God brought them out of slavery because the Bible says uh, there a Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph. And so they started to get scared of the Hebrew people that were living on their land. That if someone attacked the Egyptians, the Hebrew people would turn against the Egyptians. So they started to oppress them uh, in various ways, including killing their sons, which ends up being the final plague against Egypt that brings the Israelites into their freedom. So Moses is a big enough figure. We want to throw him in there. So it's Exodus and Moses, right? Moses and Joshua are first Moses and then Joshua is the one who uh, leads the people into the promised land. Moses leads them out of Israel across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai for the Ten Commandments. And then Joshua is the one who leads them into the conquest of the promised land of Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down and stuff like that. So that's the Exodus. See, I told you that we spent longer on Joseph than anything else. So big piece expected, just you mimic Jesus. Beginnings, big piece expected, just you mimic Jesus. P, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Big piece expected, just you mimic Jesus. E, Exodus, big peace expected, just you mimic Jesus. J is the time of the judges. That's the fourth period. <clears throat> and that's like, um, well, Samson is a pretty famous story. Samson and Delilah, we seem to remember those stories that involve, you know, sexual impropriety and stuff like that. Um, that's the time of the judges. It's, a, it's kind of the Wild West time of the nation of Israel um, it's kind of everybody scattered around there's not too much to say about it without getting into more detail but uh, 
there are many different judges at, during this time, and God raises them up to uh, correct the Israelites or to deliver the Israelites. So that's the time of the judges. Big peace expected, just you mimic Jesus. Beginnings, patriarchs, exodus, time of the judges. Big peace expected, just you. That's the united monarchy. Uh, Israel for 120 years actually lived as a nation with a king. God said, don't ask for a king. The judges thing was kind of the way God expected the land uh, to, to run. But the people said, we want a king like everybody else. And the prophets told him, God told him through the prophets, listen, if you get a king, he's going to uh, send your sons to war and uh, bring your daughters into his palace. He's going to tax you. He's going to do all these things. And the people of Israel said, we don't care. We want a king. So they gave him a king. And that's what happened. So that's the United Monarchy. There are three names in the United Monarchy uh, that many of you will know. Uh, Saul, David, and Solomon are the three kings of the United Monarchy. David, of course, is the biggest one because uh, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, which is something to think about and study because David wasn't always the greatest person ever. Uh, he was certainly a passionate guy, but sometimes that got him into trouble. Uh, he was passionate and proactive and ambitious, but he was also, uh, like Joseph, he was concerned with honor and things like that. So uh, Saul was the first king of Israel, and he turned away uh, from God, so God turned away from him, and he raised up David. You remember David and Goliath, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Uh, and then David uh, and Bathsheba, you maybe remember that story. That's something to stick in this united monarchy thing. Uh, Bathsheba was an attractive woman taking a bath on the roof. David saw her, called her into the palace for some sex uh, because she was beautiful. She got pregnant, so he thought, I'll just call uh, her husband home from the war. So the first thing actually that happened is that David didn't go to war. They always went to war in the spring. I don't know. It's a tradition, right? <laughs> so, uh, but David this year didn't go out with his armies, which is what he normally did. So David is already starting to like rest in the trappings of power instead of be the person who leads from the front. So we that we can see the change in David's leadership already. Sees Bathsheba, brings her into the palace. She gets pregnant, and he decides he would call, just call her husband home. And the problem is that her husband is a man of great integrity and in fact her husband is one of 30 men who is like David's inner circle and elite guard he's one of they call it David's mighty men Uriah is like a drinking buddy of David almost they you know they would uh, uh, he was the, he was like the guy one of the 30 guys who sworn his life to David and David sleeps with his wife and um, then he calls him home and he says, you've been working hard. Go into your wife. And Uriah says, there's no way I'm going to my wife while all my brothers in arms are out on the battlefield. So he sleeps on his doorstep and everybody sees it and everybody knows it. And David's like, crud. So he gets him drunk and he says, he gets him, invites him to a banquet, gets him drunk. And he says, listen, you're going to go back soon. Why don't you just go into your wife? 
And again, Uriah sleeps in plain sight of everybody, so nobody thinks he's the kind of guy who's gonna, like, use his um, special relationship with the king to be able to go home for conjugal visits during a time of battle. So David's like, Grod! What am I gonna do? So here's what David does, and it kind of shows you the snowball effect of, um, of sin and cover-up, right? I mean, how many people, how many leaders have gone down not for what they did, but for the cover-up that ensued? So this is David's cover-up. He writes an order to the general of his army and says, uh, get involved, get into a battle, and when the battle is raging, have everybody withdraw from Uriah so Uriah is killed. He rolls it up, he seals it, and then he says, okay, Uriah, uh, it's time to go back to the battle, and he hands the order for Uriah's death to Uriah to deliver to the general, because he knows the kind of man Uriah is. Uriah is not going to open that sealed order. So, anyway, uh, Uriah is killed, Bathsheba has a baby, the baby dies, uh, the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, hey, let me tell you a story. So here's a, here's a, if a prophet ever comes up to you and says, hey, let me tell you a story, or if Jesus does, it's not going to be, it's probably not going to be fun because usually it's going to be about you. And Nathan tells, tells David the story. So there was a guy and he was a poor farmer and he had one little sheep and he loved that sheep. And there was a rich man who lived next door and a guest came and so he sent his servants to go take the one sheep from the poor man and he killed the poor that he killed that sheep and served it at his feast. What do you think should happen to that rich guy? And David's like, that guy should be like tortured and killed. And this is where Nathan says, thou art the man. You are that guy. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, just awesome from a storytelling standpoint. Anyways, so we're going to move on. Saul, David, Solomon. Solomon is a son of Bathsheba. Bathsheba's son that was, she was first pregnant with uh, from the affair died. There's a whole interesting thing about that. And then she had another son, and that son was Solomon. So, uh, and Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, the Queen of Sheba came to visit him. He's the one who the two women came and said, this is my baby, this is my baby. And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, give me a sword, we'll just cut the baby in half and give half to each of you. And woman, one woman's like, fine. And the other one was like, no, no, no. And Solomon said, well, it clearly belongs to the woman who said, no, don't cut the baby in half because no, the real mother would never agree to have the baby cut in half. Uh, so the, the uh, fame uh, of his wise judgments in difficult cases spread throughout the land. And people came to visit him and hear him and stuff like that. So the wisest man that ever lived wrote most of the book of Proverbs, uh, also wrote Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Uh, in late, later in life, he definitely uh, showed that wisdom and integrity don't always go together because he ended up marrying foreign wives and worshiping foreign gods and all that kind of stuff. And that ended the United Monarchy. So, big peace expected. Just you mimic Jesus. Beginnings. Patriarchs. Exodus. Big peace expected. Just you mimic. Judges. United Monarchy, the M, stands for the messy time. 
the messy time is when the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And uh, this is actually a little bit important. Well, actually, that's a lot important. Uh, the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. So if you are reading the Bible and whatever's going on in the time of the divided kingdom and it's talking about Israel, it's probably talking about the northern kingdom. And there wasn't a single good king in the northern kingdom after the, after the united monarchy split up. Never a good king. The southern kingdom, which was just the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, had a, had a few good kings interspersed with mostly bad kings. So that's the messy time. And then the Babylonian captivity, the, the, um, other, other people came in from the north and conquered uh, the Israel. And they kind of intermixed and intermingled with them and married together and stuff like that. And that's actually where we get the Samaritans uh, who were hated by the Jews because they were from people who had like, you know, given in to the invaders hundreds of years ago. And who could, I mean, who could forgive something that somebody did nine generations ago, right? You got to hold on to that. Sure. <laughs> Please no. So uh, the Northern Kingdom, Israel falls in the 700s. Uh, the, oh, the, the, the United Kingdom is 1050 AD BC, excuse me, 1050 BC to 930 BC. That's the United Kingdom. The Exodus is around 1400 BC. And again, the dates, uh, I'm not giving you like the precise dates and the ranges of the historical scholars try to put on them and stuff, because it's not that important, right? Unless you really want to study it. Uh, but by having some round dates, you have little pegs to hang your knowledge on. So Exodus 1400, United Monarchy 1050 to 930. Uh, Israel falls in the 700s. In the 500s, uh, the Babylonians uh, capture uh, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and take them, most of them, over to Babylon. Babylon is where the Three Men in the Fiery Furnace happens, and Daniel in the Lion's Den happens. Those don't happen in the land of Israel. They happen over in Babylon. So, <clears throat> that's the messy time. And then uh, the uh, there's a new king comes to power in Babylon, and he allows the Jews to return to uh, the land of Canaan, and they weep because they see the destroyed temple and all that stuff. So let's rehearse again. Big peace expected, just you mimic Jesus. Big is the beginnings, that is creation, fall, flood. Peace is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Expected, that's the Exodus, right? Moses and Joshua. Big peace expected, just, that's the time of the judges, you. Uh, so Exodus is 1400 BC. Just you, that's the united monarchy, three kings. Uh, Saul, David, Solomon, 1050 to 930. Just you mimic. M is the messy time. The fall of the northern kingdom. The Babylonian captivity. Return of the Jews uh, in the 400s. And then in the 300s, the Greeks come through. Alexander the Great, you might remember him. He comes through and they conquer Israel. And uh, that's how come everybody speaks Greek. Uh, is because the Greeks, Alexander the Great, who was Persian, uh, but it, it spread Greek culture. And that's how there was, a, that really did a lot in terms of uh, international commerce and communication because 
uh, he spread the Greek language and so people learned Greek and it became a common language for the whole Mediterranean area and that's like in the 300s and then uh, there's a new leader there who thought the way to really subjugate the Jews was to take over their religion which was a mistake because the Jewish people will put up with a lot but they will not put up with somebody uh, telling them they can't worship Yahweh and so there was a revolt that's the Maccabean revolt if you're a historical scholar so this is all the messy time and then the Romans came through General Pompey by the way uh, who the <coughs> city of Pompeii that was buried by the uh, eruption of Mount Vesuvius, uh, that whole thing. So he came through, the Roman general Pompey came through and conquered uh, that same land, uh, the land of Israel, in like uh, 50, 60, 70 BC. And uh, then he put in power a guy named Herod. Uh, that and that dynasty began, and Herod the Great was actually all this Roman, the General Pompey, and things like that. That that's all the same time as Mark Antony and Cleopatra. And Herod was good friends with Mark Antony, probably knew Cleopatra as well. Herod, this is Herod the Great, the King of Israel, when Jesus was born. So there's a little historical tie-in. So now we've actually reached Jesus. And now you know what's going on in the tumultuous history of Jesus, of the people of Israel. By the time Jesus is born, they have been through the ringer. When the Pharisees, uh, when, when, excuse me, when the religious leaders, uh, the chief priests and stuff, uh, tell Pilate, uh, was it, uh, who was it? Anyway, no, uh, tell Jesus, we've never been slaves of anybody. We are the chosen people. <laughs> I don't know what world they're living in. By the way, so Herod uh, got hit the kingship of Israel through his political connections. The Romans made him the king. And then his son was uh, king when Jesus was crucified. Uh, and again, it's just the, the dynasty of these powerful people with money and friends who get to be king. And just to throw this into the hopper, it was a similar situation with the high priesthood. They also uh, were connected to families and they had money and power. So the whole thing is just totally messed up for any Jewish person who wants to really live according to the way it started out way back with Moses and the Ten Commandments because the king and the high priest are bought and paid for and they're all in collusion with the Romans. Uh, so that's Jesus. So big peace expected. Just you mimic Jesus. Big, that's the beginnings. That's the creation fallen flood. Big peace, that's P, that's the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, jo Abraham, Isaac Jacob, and Joseph. Big peace expected. E is the exodus with Moses and Joshua. Big peace expected just. That's the time of the judges. Justice, judges, that's pretty easy, right? Big peace expected just you. That's the United Monarchy. Again, Exodus 1400 BC, United Monarchy 1050 to 930 BC. Saul, David, and Solomon. Big peace expected, just you mimic. That's the messy time. Follow the Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, Babylonian captivity, 
returned to Israel, conquered by the Greeks, conquered by the Romans. Big peace expected. Just you mimic Emma's messy Jesus is Jesus. So that's that is the entire Bible in seven chunks that you could probably remember with tiny bit of effort and will seriously help anybody. It doesn't even matter if you're a Christian. If you're just a person who wants to understand the most influential book in the entire world, a book that has guided world leaders for 2,000 years, if you want a, a book that has guided Western, much of the development of Western civilization and sparked off things like the Reformation and the Renaissance, that has given us the notions of equal rights between genders, that has given us the notions of individual freedoms. These all come out of the Bible. Even much of what Shakespeare writes actually comes out of, uh, is quoting the Bible in various ways. So even if you just want to understand the Bible, even if you don't uh, follow Christ the way uh, someone who is a Christian looks to Christ as their boss, you have a basic framework to understand the Bible and remember it. Big piece expected. Just you mimic Jesus. Beginnings. Patriarchs. Exodus. 1400 BC. Moses and Joshua. Big piece expected. Just. Time of Judges. You. United Monarchy. 1050 to 930. Saul, David, Solomon. Mimic the messy time. Jesus. I am John Rollison, and if you have been with me for this whole time, I'm so glad that you stayed with me. I'm glad that you uh, are interested in learning about the Bible, and I'm glad for the opportunity to help you uh, get a large fly overview of the Bible, to put a few pegs in on which you can hang all the historical events. Uh, you can find me. Where can you find me? Well, I'm right now I'm a middle school teacher in Orlando and I have a website creatively named johnrollison.com and I got a few other little side gigs going on too so anyway but this is this and thank you for listening take care and have a great day bye bye